and then we're going to look today in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4 is where we'll be. And I love the story of Esther, although I, I confess, um, I don't ever think anybody tells it right. Because it's such a peculiar story. I mean, it's the beginning part of the story that I think everybody gets wrong. Once we get to the latter bits, the, the genocide, that part I think people are pretty well versed in. It's just that in the beginning part, it's, it's so sensual. And it's so strangely misogynistic. I mean, we start out with this girl, Esther, and her redeeming quality is that she's hot. Like, full stop. It might as well say, Esther, chapter 1, verse 1, there was this hot chick named Esther. And because she's beautiful, she catches the attention of the king's harem. Yeah, she becomes a, a, a sex slave. Now, then, maybe that was something less disturbing than now, but that's what it was. She gets drafted to becoming part of the king's harem. And there, because she's hot, she's taught how to do makeup, how to put together her outfits for, for the explicit purpose of satisfying the king's sexual whims and delights. Now, I've seen a lot of movies of Esther. None of them really focused on that. Maybe that's good. Maybe everything was just going to be too PG-rated, but, but I think that's critical to understanding who, who, this, who this girl is. We have no understanding at all of her character, of her virtue. Presumably she has some of both, but the only thing we know about her is that she's attractive. And then she's trained to become sensual and seductive. And because she's successful... She gets elevated to the position of the king's preferred, his, his queen consort, which doesn't mean anything like what we have with the queen of England. Now it just means that she's got more privileges, she's got command of more wealth, but again, all she has is a bunch of Instagram followers. So that's all she has to commend herself to anyone. She, she's just beautiful and Jewish. That apparently becomes really important because her uncle comes to her one day and says he's uncovered a plot to kill all of the Jewish people in the country. Sadly, that's not the first time someone had that idea, nor is it the last. We are distressingly familiar with governments that want to kill Jews. And Esther says, well, that's not my problem. What do you want me to do about it? And her uncle pushes back. He goes, are, are, are you crazy? You're Jewish. I'm not Jewish, I'm hot. No, no, no. Don't you understand? Like, you, you can never stop being who you are. I mean, down in your bones, you were one of God's chosen people. You can never stop being who you are. Down in your bones, God sees you, God has called you, God has placed his spirit within you, God claims you. And you can't be unclaimed just because you'd rather think about something else. And this is what Mordecai says. Do not think to yourself that just because you live in the king's palace, you will escape harm any more than all the rest of your people. Like, you're not safe just because you're rich. You're not safe just because you're hot. You're not safe just because you're popular. You're not safe just because up until now, life has gone more or less the way you'd expect. If you keep silent at this time, 
And this is the critical piece, the one I want to focus on today. If you keep silent at this time, relief and comfort from the Jews will come from another place. Relief and comfort will come from another place. If you, if you don't do anything, God's still going to show up and save his people. If you, if you don't do anything, God's kingdom purposes will advance. If, if, if you don't do anything, if you just sit there, the goodness and salvific plans of God will proceed, but, but you won't. You and your father's house will perish. No one's going to remember you. No one's going to think about you. No one's going to remember that you were ever even born. But maybe, and this is perhaps the most famous verse in the entire book, you have been placed here for such a time as this. I've been thinking a lot about this scripture this week. About, about what it means if you, don't, if you don't do anything. It's such a funny tack that Mordecai takes. Uncle comes to her and says, look, there's a couple things in life that you cannot stop. The will and purposes of God, the kingdom of God, the church of God, the spirit of God. Th those things are going ahead with or without you. What you have, though, is a choice. You can be actively involved or not. Because one way or another, relief and comfort is coming. All you get to choose is whether or not you're part of the solution. And I think that's the word of God for you today and for me. I, mean, I spent some time praying this week. I thought I'd try it out, you know, see what all the fuss is about. And I was sitting there, I was complaining. And the spiritual word is lamentation, but I wasn't being spiritual, I was complaining. And I was going, God, it's just like it's, it's hard. This is a hard season. It's a hard season to be a pastor. It's a hard season to minister. It's difficult. And sometimes God teases me. I don't know what your relationship with the Lord is like, but maybe the Lord just wants to show me that there's someone funnier than me. So I'm complaining. I'm like, Lord, it's difficult. And I can feel God sort of looking down going, oh, is it? Lord, when you, when you try to help people, sometimes they, they lash out at you, you think. Well, I, I know they killed you. Yeah, I, I was there. But it just, I, just, I just don't want to do it anymore. You don't have to. You don't have to. God, I, I don't want to keep fighting for people that don't fight for themselves. You don't have to. I don't want to keep believing in people that, that, that won't put any effort in. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. But know this. The world will heal. The kingdom of God will take root and grow. And you can either be at the absolute center of it or not. To be at the center is to pay a terrible price and to reap a miraculous reward. To opt out is to be bored and forgotten. 
So here's five things that I think fall under the banner of Jesus telling us to count the cost. Number one, hope is non-essential. You don't need hope. One of my favorite quotes is from Tolkien. He gives it to his character Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings where Aragorn says, I give hope to others. I keep none for myself. It's such a, such a sad, empty feeling quote. But the truth is, a lot of times we sit there and go, oh, I feel hopeless. And because I feel hopeless, I won't do anything. And I remember sitting with a counselor once, him saying, me, you know, me complaining, second time in my life ever, those are the only two times. This is the first lie I've ever told, those are the only two times I complain. And he said, I just, I don't feel like I have any hope. And he said, okay, so do what you think you need to do without any hope. I'm like, but you need hope. He goes, you don't. You want hope. I wrote a book on hope. Good for you. How's that working out for you? The truth is when you focus on whether or not you feel and experience hope, you lose all your motivation to do the things that God has set before you to do. You think Mordecai felt any hope right here? You think Esther felt any hope? I mean, her whole life was to satisfy the sexual whims of a dictator. I think she's got a lot of hope for meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment. Not till things got even worse. Hope is the energy that we have for living, but hope is not essential. Number two, you want to count the cost of being involved in God's purposes and plans to heal the world, you better realize that love is pain. Love is pain. I remember my mom used to tell me all the time, David, you will never know real pain until you have children, which seems like really um, like a mean thing for a mom to say to her kids. Um, I say that with my own children in the room, so, you know, I suppose we just keep that generational legacy going on of, of torment from father to children and all that. But the truth is, is, is it hurts to have kids. Not because you don't like your kids, it's because you love them. You love them deeply, you do anything for them. And when you see them hurting and in pain, it hurts. It hurts right down to the deepest part of you. Sometimes when people fall in love, it doesn't go the way they want. And so they run the other direction because they're afraid of getting hurt. But to be in love is to be in pain. You ask anybody who's been married for longer than five minutes, who's the person over whom you've shed the most tears? And they will say, the person with whom you're most closely connected. Love is pain. So what are you going to do? Are you going to not love? Why would you live without love? Why would you not invest yourself fully in loving others? Do you think that you don't cause any pain? Pain is a guarantee. But love is the reward. Number three, friendship is ardor. Ardor. You know what ardor means? It means eager devotion. We just got this uh, puppy a little while ago. I really like this puppy. His name is Bo. You can't have him. 
Um, puppies are eagerly devoted to you. You know, a puppy, like, like we took, my son and I, we took our, our puppy on a walk and we let him off leash for the first time. We were walking through a cornfield and the whole entire time that we're walking and he's off leash, he's in between my legs with his tail whapping the back of my calves. It's just hilarious. It's so eager. He's so enthusiastic. That's what friendship's like at the beginning. I mean, you meet people, you're like, oh, I love these people. We connect with, I'm going to see them at a wedding. This wedding is going to be so fun because I'm with these people. And you just, you just get excited. You hyper, you get hype. You so, but, but friendship isn't just eagerness. It is also devotion because eventually, eventually your friends will get hurt. Not necessarily by you. I mean, that's possible. But just life has a way of beating people up. So my son and I were walking through the cornfield. Dog is all happy. And then I got stabbed by corn. Did you know corn can do that? It's the most murderous vegetable on the planet. But the, the, the weird little corn stalk things, the, the, I don't know what they're, the, the Satan's knives that grow on corn, stabbed me in the eye, and I start, I went down on the ground, I went down on one knee, and my eyes are t- tearing all over the place, I cut my cornea, I ended up having to go to the ER, but what do you think the puppy did when I was down on my knee? He ran up and licked my face. Because he's not just eager, he's devoted, that, that's friendship. There will be a time that your friends get hurt. And that's the time that while your eagerness might diminish, your devotion has to increase. Now, I'm telling you all these things. Hope is non-essential. Love is pain. Friendship is art. They don't sound like good news, but it's, it's kind of like, like spiritual broccoli. You know, it's, it's, it's nutritious to know that some things are going to be a struggle. And you don't have to engage in them. Like, you don't have to love nobody. You don't have to have any friends. You, 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 don't, you don't have to live with any kind of, you know, hope, expulsion. You, you could have a really easy life. You could be all by yourself. You could watch Netflix on your couch and just get DoorDash every day. Never see any humans, which is a nice fantasy that sometimes people really enjoy. But just know this. Salvation is going to come from another place. Love is going to come from somewhere else. Friendship is going to come from somewhere else. Hope and healing is going to come from somewhere else. If not through you, then you'll be forgotten. But maybe, maybe God's put you here for exactly this reason at exactly this time to love, to be a friend to provide hope, even if you don't feel like you have any. Number four, ministry is madness. Absolute madness. You ever try and help somebody? Like, try and help somebody? You ever ever walk down the street and somebody's begging for money and you think, you know what? I know that giving them whatever change I have in my pocket will not totally help the situation. What if... What if I do everything I can to completely help them, to completely turn this person's life around? I can tell you, I've done this experiment multiple times, and it always goes roughly the same way. Hey, man, you all right? I just need some bus fare. I'm trying to get to Flint. Huh. Uh, Well, I tell you what, I'll drive you to Flint. No, 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 no. I I just need, I don't want to trouble you. No, I'll I'll take you to Flint. It's what, an hour? Get a drink of water while we're there. Um, 
And so then you end up driving so-and-so to Flint. And of course, on the way, you, you get talking and you realize there's, there's a lot more going on than just needing bus fare. So you, you feed them, you have lunch. Um, then you get to Flint and you realize what you thought all along, that he's lying. He didn't need to go to Flint. He didn't know anybody in Flint. His problems aren't solved in Flint. The, that, nobody solves problems in Flint. That's where problems are invented. So now you've got this moral obligation. You took this idiot to Flint. Now the two of you stand there, and what's, what's he going to do? Is he going to just all of a sudden get better? So then you then you got to get him a hotel room, get him into a shelter. Have you fixed his problems? No. Does that mean that you shouldn't do it, that you shouldn't try? Of course you should try. Well, no, I mean, you do whatever you want. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm not telling you how to help other people. I'm just trying to help you understand that it's maddening when you do. When you're trying to help somebody that doesn't want to be helped, when you're trying to save somebody that cannot be saved, when you're trying to undo the last 30 years of mess in somebody else's life out of the goodness of your heart because you want to help somebody, you're going to go crazy. Now, you could not help them, but somebody's going to help them. Salvation's going to show up somewhere. It could be you. What an adventure. What else were you going to do that day? Mow the lawn? That's no fun. Could be you. Or not. And last but not least, number five. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. Now, I suppose you could not live it. And we live in a world where suicide has reached the levels of, of an epidemic. And somebody said to me towards the beginning of COVID, man, I, I'm so miserable. I just, I just want to kill myself so it'll be over. How do you know it's going to be over? Like maybe you kill yourself and you're the same level of miserable for the rest of your death. How do you know? How do you know? Life is difficult. You, you can opt out of life's difficulties. You can opt out of life's struggles. You can opt out of life's obstacles. You can opt out of life's challenges. But then, then what? You're, you're not happier. You just have more free time. You can have adventure or you can have television. But with adventure, with life, comes struggle. Now, all of these are things that, that I, I feel like, like God and I are sitting down having coffee, you know? And I'm, 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 I'm lamenting. Lord, what, what am I going to do if I don't feel hopeful? I'm, like, like what, if, what if we're doing church and chicken coops for the rest of my life? What if we have to do 17 services on a Sunday just to get six people to come to each one? What if I got to do 18 services every week in the breviary and we never turn the heat back on in the building? What if I never get any positive affirmation or reward from the ministry? What if I never have any confidence that what I do matters ever again? Then what, Lord? And he goes, well, you can quit. No. You can shut up. Okay. <laughs> Lord, love is hard. It's hard to love people. It's hard to love your church. It's hard to love the world. You don't have to. Well, I want to. Well, get after it then. 
pitter-patter. What about friendship? And what about ministry? And what about life? God says to you, look, you don't have to do any of these things. Salvation will come somehow. And you get the privilege of choosing whether or not you're at the absolute center of it or whether you're on the couch. And I pray you make the right choice. The choice that gets you to the end of your life looking back going, I did what was worth it even when it didn't feel like it was worth it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for all that you sacrificed for us, for all that you modeled for us, for all that you have given us. We want to thank you for the truth and the power of your Holy Spirit, your word, and your church. And we need it, Lord. In times like this one, of national and civil unrest, of global fear and panic, what we need day after day after day is a fresh anointing and a fresh sense of your spirit. Now, with you, all things are possible. Now, with you, we can look at this mountain dead in the eye and say, go jump into the sea. And our problems are vanquished, flipped upside down, and engulfed in you. So, Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen us and mold us increasingly into your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.